All right, we're going to be in James, if you want to turn to James 1. I don't know what it is, but it's hotter in here today on the first cloudy day we've had in a long time than it has been in all of the really hot sunny days. James 1. Well, I was on, online recently, and I observed a very, very sensible, reasoned, compassionate conversation on a hotly debated topic. The, the people involved assumed the best about one another, spoke kindly to one another, listened well, didn't make the topic out to be more significant than it really was. Of course, I'm joking. This, this did not happen. <laughs> Those sort of things don't happen. But you already knew that or suspected it because that's rarely how those conversations happen. Rather, they are usually framed as one side is completely evil and demonic, and the other side is completely righteous and pure and good. And there are these clear black and white lines. And often it seems that it doesn't really matter if the issue is serious and weighty or rather trivial or not. Everything is an opportunity to just get outraged. The volume is quickly turned up to 11 on everything. And lots of people have a vested interest in our outrage, right? And lots of companies, uh, media companies, social media companies, uh, news outlets, websites, they all rely on, to a large degree, our outrage. They write their, I mean, I've been in marketing before, you write your headlines and you write your stories to grab attention, and the best way to do that is to um, elicit outrage. It's like, if you've ever seen the movie Monsters, Inc., it's like the screams on Monster, Inc., that power, that create all of this power, our outrage likewise um, causes and produces a lot of money, and we are happy to just continue to, to give it. Well, this has been widely recognized and is um, often called outrage culture. In an L.A. Times piece, one author wrote keenly, uh, she said, a sense of emergency is what people on all sides have developed an addiction to. Show us the next person to hate, and we are so there, because we need that next hit, and we need it right now. And I think she's exactly right to compare this tendency to be outraged to drug use. It's, uh, we love the suggestion that there's an enemy out there that is truly evil and vile and oppressive, and we get addicted to the feeling of righteous anger at them. It's like a drug. We, we just keep wanting more. But I think you can go even further than that and say that this is a form of self-salvation and self-justification, Right? in our constantly feeling outraged at those people, we are at the same time justifying ourselves, patting ourselves on the back, assuring ourselves that as long as we're not like that, as long as we're not part of that group, we are good, we are righteous, we are worthy, and we can get on with our lives. Thank God that I'm not like other men and women. You may recall that that's direct quote, from scripture, from one of Jesus' parables of the Pharisee, and it was not a compliment. It did not go well for that Pharisee who said, 
thank God that I'm not like other men. So into this, consider the radical words of James that we'll cover today. Um, He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's quite a different response than we experience and then probably that we do ourselves as well. Um, Clearly, this has lots of relevance, and the low-hanging fruit is social media and online news and and all of these conversations about hotly debated topics, right? Um, That's that's an easy, relevant thing to discuss this with. Um, And I think on that, it's clear that it matters not just what we say, it matters not just what we stand for, those things matter, but it also matters how we do that and our posture and our disposition and our... um, how we engage with those we disagree with. But of course, this has relevance beyond that into our everyday lives, in our homes, in our parenting, in our marriages, in our gathering together as a church, in small groups, in studies, in our leadership in various capacities. Um, anger, bitterness, a quickness to speak, and a slow, and a, yeah, quickness to speak, and a slowness to listen. Um, are everywhere. They permeate almost every aspect of our lives. I imagine if you took a moment and just considered your own heart, you wouldn't have to go very far back in the week or the day or the hour um, to realize that you've been angry in a sinful way, bitter and unforgiving and harsh, whether you came out and did something about it outwardly or it was just in your thoughts and in your heart. But not only does this permeate widely, it's also much more serious than we tend to acknowledge. Um, This sort of disposition of anger and rash, quick language and failure to really caringly listen to people um, is, it hurts others, it diminishes human thriving, a, a, a good society, harms the people we love, and ultimately it diminishes the glory of God that we, that we see. And so James will go on, as we'll see, to call it a moral filth, this attitude, this disposition. So there is great value and relevance in us hearing what God has to say about this and then responding to it. So we're in James 1, 19 through 21, just three verses today. We'll walk through them in order. So let me read verse 19 again as we, as we get into it. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So first thing to notice is that James, um, as we've said before, is writing to Christians here. He says, My beloved brothers. So that's important to know that um, these commands are good for everyone, for sure, but this is specifically directed at Christians, at God's people, this is what God calls us to, but also more than that, what he equips us for, strengthens us for, as we rely on him, and what he is glorified by. So this is not just a means of kind of moral, um, pick yourself up salvation, just get rid of your anger, be kind, and you can be saved. No, this is a command for those already in the fold of God's love through the blood of Jesus in our place for our sins. 
If you were a Christian today, these words apply to you. God would have you hear these words. Um, if you're not a Christian, there's still lots of he- lots here for you, if, or if you're not sure, um, we will discuss the, the character and the salvation of God and um, just long for you to, to hear that. So what is this overall quality or disposition that is being exhorted, commanded here? What does it mean to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? Well, it's helpful to consider some of the other similar commands in Scripture, a lot of which you find in the Proverbs, right? So Proverbs 15, I'll just give you a few. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Going a little further in 15, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but a perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A little further, verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And then one more, Proverbs 17, 17, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Must have gotten that wrong. That was definitely not the verse I'm reading. Somewhere in Proverbs, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit or is even-tempered is a man of understanding. So we get a picture of one who is Above all, self-controlled, right? Who is not hasty in his language, not prone to outbursts or fits of rage, doesn't let words come out of their mouth rashly, but listens and weighs carefully. And then when they do speak, they are aiming to build up And they speak with wisdom and patience and and love. And of course, this matters most when we are, when we have situations that tempt us towards the exact opposite, right? When we have disagreements, when we have contention, when we are hurt, we feel offended, when life doesn't go our way and we are tempted to just react in in rage and, and we just want to take control of things. Again, the obvious example, the low-hanging fruit, is conversations on hotly debated topics today. As I said, it matters both what we stand for as Christians and how we stand for it. That we not only speak the truth, but we do so in love, and that that love aspect actually changes how we speak the truth and when we speak the truth and, and all of that. When our only response in these situations is mere outrage, assuming the worst about people, just throwing labels around, not even seeing people as actual people, but just like the sum total of whatever labels we've given them and not as human beings equally in need of grace as ourselves, we, we have not shown a distinctly Christian response and witness. What about in our homes? Um, it is often this, this is often put to the, the greatest test around those we are closest to. We are tempted and pulled towards anger and, and bitterness and unforgiveness in our homes. I was 
leading a men's discipleship group a number of years back at an, a, another church, and uh, one of the weeks, one of the questions was, what is one area that you are most aware of your, your sin and your need for God's strength and grace in your life? And I think without fail, the 10 or 11 guys around the table all said something along the lines of anger and impatience at home, especially in parenting. I imagine all of us can relate to that. What about at work? Are we, do we have a reputation for being good listeners at work? Responding gently with soft, gentle words. I think of us as uh, those of us called to, to lead this church as elders. Um, my desire is that we would set a good example in this and we would just learn to increasingly be patient and gentle and kind um, and humble as we shepherd this church and, and lead and teach this church. And then we should certainly also think about our hearts. So perhaps nobody around us would say that, oh, that person's an angry person. But in our hearts, we know that there's lots of anger built up, bitterness, unforgiveness, aggression. Surely this still applies. Be slow to anger. Be quick to catch the building up of bitterness in your hearts before it settles and hardens. And then James gives, gives us a reason for this. So verse 20, why, why does this matter? He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, there is a right time for anger. Uh, in a world full of sin and evil, there is a rightful place for anger, both for God and for us. Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. So there is an anger that is not sin. But most of the time, the anger of man, or perhaps the way we go about anger, or the quality of our anger, as James says, does not produce the righteousness of God. That is, it doesn't display and bring about what is truly good and, and right and true and, and upbuilding. It doesn't glorify God. It doesn't love others. Now, if you think about this verse, verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's quite shocking because that's the opposite of what we tend to think when we're angry. Right? We tend to assume that our anger is always righteous. That it's justified. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why there's so much anger in the world is because we don't, we think it's right. We think we are acting out God's own response to the situation. We, we see some sin or evil, somebody hurts or offends us, and boom, anger. Surely, surely God is angry. But is this really who God is? We know God hates sin and its destructive consequences. We know that God is wrathful towards sin. We know that God will be perfectly just towards those who persist in rebellion against him. And so there is a rightful place for anger. But what are we told over and over and over again about God's anger in Scripture? 
that he is slow to anger. When God first reveals his character to Moses in Exodus 34, and then this is repeated over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament and even here in James, we are told God reveals his character. Here's here's who I am. He says he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Not, not, I mean, not the opposite, not slow to steadfast love and faithfulness and abounding in anger, but slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression are and sin. So our tendency towards thinking, our tendency to think that our anger is always righteous must take into account the fact that God is slow to be angry with us. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not immediately lash out every time we sin. He he is not just merely coldly, transactionally just, like, you get what you deserve, that's kind of, that's the end of the matter. No. God's unchanging nature is, is one of dealing with us patiently and graciously. His unchanging nature is one of extending grace and compassion and forgiveness to persistent sinners. Uh, Elsewhere, Scripture tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance and His patience and His forbearance are meant to lead us to repentance. And so the seeing God for who he really is, kind and patient and gracious, is meant to lead us to repent of our sin and embrace him as Lord and Savior. And so if that's who God is to us, in our anger... Do we think ourselves more righteous than God? Do we think ourselves to have a more perfected sense of character than God, a greater wisdom for how to deal with the sin and evil in front of us? I think the problem so often with our anger, when it is sinful, is that it contains very little to no love or mercy or humility or patience or forgiveness or long-suffering, the very things that God extends to us. We may be responding to something truly evil and wicked, and there may be a place for anger, but our anger quickly gets consumed with other things like pride and impatience and, and bitterness and unforgiveness. Do we realize that we offend God on a daily basis? We we make light of his glory on a daily basis. We ignore his presence on a daily basis. We doubt his goodness. We disobey his commands. And he doesn't come down on us each time and just throw up his hands in exasperation and say, well, that's the last straw. He doesn't say, change now or else. No. If 
If you are his through faith in Christ, he is patient with your growth. He stands with you and, and for you, even in your sin. When you sin, he is on your side fighting with you against your sin, not turning against you in that moment. This is what it means that for Christ to be our advocate. We are told in, in John that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Jesus not only died for our sins in the past, but he is actively advocating, continually making much of the sufficiency of his death for us. And the Father is pleased to hear this and to welcome us in with open arms. And so if this is the case for us, if this is our situation, if this is how God treats us on a daily basis, who are we to take the, the sins and offenses and wickedness of others, even against us, as legitimate reasons for sinful anger and bitterness, unforgiveness and rashness and revenge. This doesn't mean we make light of sin or we ignore sin. This doesn't mean there aren't times to speak up and confront sin or even to restrain evil. Those are all, they have their place. But it does mean that what we often feel is so righteous, our proud and impatient and unforgiving anger is actually sin. It's an unwillingness to extend to others the same grace and kindness and patience that God has extended to us. And so, in other words, this is, you know, this is not just a moral issue. This is not just a kind of self-improvement issue. Come on, you can do it. Get over your anger. This is a spiritual issue. It is sin. Which means that the response is also not just a, a moral self-improvement issue, but is also a spiritual one. We need God. And that's what we see in the last verse. Verse 21 says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Uh, first of all, notice how um, James describes our failure to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Filthiness or moral filth and rampant wickedness. I mean, that, that's intense. Like, sure, I could be a little bit more patient in my, my speaking and quicker to listen, but filthiness and rampant wickedness? Um, he'll go on to talk about jealousy and selfish ambition in chapter 3 and call... Call it disorder and every vile practice. As you read Scripture, you notice pretty quickly that God is always shocking us with the seriousness and the depth and the vileness of our sin, even the sins that we think are pretty tame and mild. Um, I mean, doesn't Jesus say something similar about anger? Whoever is angry at his brother will be liable to judgment. When the Pharisees were just saying, well, we haven't committed murder. Whoever is angry. No, all of these sins, in God's eyes, are wicked. 
they, they harm others, they, they hurt ourselves, and they are an offense to the character and glory of God. And I think just a little thought experiment reveals this to be the case. Imagine if you were to remove all, just, just anger, just anger from the world. Like how drastic, drastically of a different world we would have if you removed anger. So revenge, gone. Passive aggressiveness, gone. Gossip, gone. Bitterness, murder, gone. Like, that's a lot. God, God's word really does get to the heart of, of things, and anger is one of these things that is pervasive and has massive consequences. But God doesn't merely intend to just expose our sin and then leave us there just feeling depressed and hopeless and despairing. Uh, God is intending in exposing our sin to be so much greater than we thought, than we're able to accept most of the time. God is intending to drive us to himself and to the satisfaction and sufficiency and the joy that is in him. And so look at the last part of verse 21 there again. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now again, remember James speaking to Christians here. So this is not a call for unbelievers to receive God's word and be saved, although that's a biblical call. But this here is a call for believers to give themselves to, submit to the word of God already implanted in them. When you become a Christian by faith, you are given God's spirit. Um, The prophet Jeremiah, God speaks through Jeremiah and says that I will put my law within their hearts and I will write it on their hearts. God, God does a real significant work in us, renewing us, regenerating us when we come to him by faith. He gives us his spirit to guide us and strengthen us and lead us and teach us, which means that our following God and our following his commands like this is not a matter of self-will, but of reliance on his spirit and his word. We don't have the strength. We don't even have the desires to do what is good apart from God. But as Paul says in the book of Philippians, God works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That is, with the desires and the strength to do what is right. So, when you come face to face with your sinful anger again and again, your tendency towards bitterness and unforgiveness and impatience and and harshness and rashness. You're not just left to your own devices. You don't just need to go find anger management classes and that will solve the problem. May help some. But turn and submit to the gracious and kind rule of God. Repent of your sin. Rest in his blood-bought grace. And then live daily in the power of his spirit, under the authority of his word and his law. And do this in the community of believers that is meant to encourage and and help you along the way. With this in mind, we're going to do something a little bit different. Before I pray, I'm going to give you a chance just to do that. 
So we're going to bow our heads and I'll give you an opportunity, just some moments of silence to come before God. Confess your sin in this area particularly, your quickness to speak, slowness to listen, and quickness to anger. But don't stop there. Also look to to Christ and the sufficiency of his blood-bought grace for you, um, for your sins, past, present, and future. And then pray for God to, to strengthen you and lead you on in, as you go. So let's bow our heads.